Well, good morning. Dr. Jerome Frank was a professor of psychiatry at John Hopkins University. And he wrote a book, and in the book he recounted a story that he had been flying in an airplane in the late 60s. And he had this flight that was going from Los Angeles to New York. And he sat down, and, and there on the seat beside him was this guy, and they started talking. And remember, this was the late 60s. This was back before 9-11. This was back when there wasn't a lot of airport security. And he got talking to this guy, and this guy said, you know, I used to be terrified of flying in airplanes. I, just, I, I was just really afraid. Because, you know, a few years ago, there was that guy who brought a bomb on board the plane when he was trying to kill his mother-in-law who was flying to Denver. And ever since then, I've just been really afraid to fly because what happens if there's a bomb on the plane? And Dr. Jerome Frank was kind of interested, and he said, oh, well... You know, how did you overcome your fear? And he said, well, you know, I, I went to one of those classes that they offered about fear of flying in airplanes. And, 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 and the guy who was teaching the class said, the odds that there would be a bomb on an airplane are about one in 10,000. And he thought that was going to make me feel better. But I thought, you know, those, those odds still aren't good enough. But then, he said, then I started thinking, if the odds of there being one bomb on an airplane are 1 in 10,000, then the odds of there being two bombs on an airplane are 1 in 100 million. Dr. Frank said, yeah, but how does that help you? Oh, he said, since then I've been bringing a bomb on board myself just to improve the odds. <laughs> there are people who will do amazing things in life to deal with their fears. For so many people, fear rules their life. You know, there used to be a show on TV called Fear Factor. I think I see that it's, it's coming back on again. And on that show, Fear Factor, people would do all kinds of weird things in order to win $50,000. I mean, they'd put themselves in a box and get covered by bugs. Our girls this week were at a youth event where they had to eat a blended up happy meal. You know, the drink and the burger and the fries all blended up because they were having like this fear factor event and it almost made them sick. People will do weird things to win money. That's a terrible way, terrible motivation to deal with your fear. You know what the right motivation is for dealing with fear? Because fear keeps us from accomplishing the will of God in our lives. The reason that we overcome fear, the reason that we face our fears in life is so that we can do and we can be what God has called us to. So that we can accomplish God's will for our lives. This morning I want to look in the Bible at a character who had to face a giant, who had to face his fears head on. I want us to turn our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 37 to 50. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 37 to 50. It says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. And so he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and 
With the sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those that were gathered there know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it, and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine. With a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. A lot of people today have a lot of different kinds of fears. I mean, I think we've all heard of claustrophobia, right? The fear of enclosed spaces. Some people here have heard of acrophobia, the fear of heights. But maybe there's some fears that you haven't heard about. There's cyberphobia, the fear of computers. Anybody have that? No, I'm immune. Sorry. Ecclesiophobia, the fear of church. I hope you don't have that because you're in trouble if you're here and you do. Lunophobia, the fear of the moon. Chromatophobia, the fear of money. Europhobia, the fear of the color red. Homolophobia, the fear of sermons. Again, if you have that, my apologies. Triscatacophobia, the fear of the number 13. Urethrophobia, the fear of blushing. Palatophobia, the, pe- the fear of baldness. Amen, says some of you. And phobophobia, the fear of being afraid. You know, if you have phobophobia, you're in trouble because, you know, you're afraid of everything. In this passage, the nation of Israel faced a giant. How did David deal with the giant? The same way that each one of us should deal with the giants in our lives. In the life of David, we see here four different things. Number one, David teaches us in this passage that we have to face our fears, that we can't run from our problems. You have to face your enemy head on. In this passage, it says, as Goliath came towards him, instead of running away, it says that David ran forward. He ran towards the enemy. He ran towards the giant. If you're going to defeat the giants in your life, you have to run towards them and not away from them. As long as you run away from your fears, as long as you do not face your fears, you give them the victory in your life. It says in this passage that for 40 days that giant had come out and had cursed the Israelite army. For 40 days he'd come out and every morning and every evening he'd come out and he'd say, is there anyone out there that can fight me? Anyone out there that wants to try it? Anyone out there that's man enough to come down here and to face me? And for 40 days all the soldiers sitting up there had looked down, had been taunted by this guy and had said, no way, I'm going. And they were defeated. 
And they felt helpless. 1 Samuel 17, 11 says, On hearing the Philistine wor Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And let me tell you, that's what, happened, that's what happens when you don't face your fears. When you don't face your fear, it becomes a foothold in your life. It takes over your life. And it leaves you defeated and it leaves you empty. Max Licato says this, Fear, his modus operandi, is to manipulate you with the mysterious, to taunt you with the unknown. Fear of death, fear of failure, fear of God, fear of tomorrow. His arsenal is vast. His goal? To create cowardly, joyless souls. He doesn't want you to make the journey to the mountain. He figures that if he can rattle you enough, you will take your eyes off the peaks and settle for a dull existence in the flatlands. That is the devil's plan for your life. He wants to leave you so defeated, so fearful, that you will take your eyes off of what God has called you to do and you will just focus your eyes on the things that are mundane and unimportant. Harry Emerson Fostick says this, that fear imprisons, but faith liberates. Fear paralyzes, faith empowers. Fear disheartens, faith encourages. Fear sickens, faith heals. Fear makes useless, faith makes serviceable. And most of all, fear puts hopelessness at the heart of life, while faith rejoices in its God. You have to face your fears or else you let them rule you. There's a passage in 1 Chronicles 11 where David's army, David's mighty men, were being pursued by the Philistines and they ran into this field full of barley. Now at that time, the Philistines' uh, strategy was to go into Israel, to raid Israel, and, and this was just at the harvest time, just before the crops were harvested. They'd go in, they'd find a field that was full, ready to be harvested, and they would light it on fire, burn it to the ground, so that the Israelite army was weak and helpless. They were hungry, they had no food. But it says in this particular instance that the army went, these soldiers went, and they stood in the middle of the field as if to say, not any farther than this. We will not give you this. We will not give up this field so that you can burn it and you can keep us weak and helpless. And that is the devil's strategy for each one of us. If he can keep you weak and helpless and hungry, if he can block you from reading your Bible, if he can keep you from prayer, if he can keep you from going to church, if he can keep you from the things that energize you and get you moving on the right track, if he can just stop you from doing those things, ultimately he wins. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, Do the thing you fear and the death of fear is certain. And again, there's an old German proverb that says this, fear knocked at the door, faith answered, but no one was there. When you face your fears, you conquer them. When you run from the fears, you are conquered by them. Number one, face your fears. But number two, don't simply face your fears because in your own strength, you're going to lose. Face your fears, but focus on God. Focus on God. 
There is no question that Goliath was a big guy. I mean, the guy was nine feet tall. That's pretty tall. You know, I'm 6'2". That's three feet taller than me. He was a big guy. He wore 120 pounds of armor on him. He had a spear in his hand. Just the tip of the spear was 15 pounds. I mean, let's face it. He wasn't just a tall guy. He was a strong guy. I mean, obviously, there was some muscle on this boy. He was a formidable opponent. If David, who was still pretty young at that time, had measured the giant against himself, there's no way that he would have gone and faced him. But you see, David wasn't measuring himself against the giant. He was measuring the giant against God, the creator of the universe, the God who spoke and everything that is came into existence. That's what almighty means. When we say that God is almighty, that means that when God created the universe, when he spoke the stars into space, he did it with a word and it was as effortless as it is to simply speak a word. It was nothing. That is the power of God. Next to God, Goliath was nothing. And when we face our fears, we have to measure our fears against God and not against ourselves or our own circumstances. In 1875, there was an outlaw that struck terror into the hearts of people in the American West. Even his name, Black Bart, was a name that was so terrifying that most people heard the name and they couldn't even say it out loud. They had to whisper it. He robbed 29 stagecoaches. I mean, this guy was the most feared, the most wanted outlaw in America. Everyone thought, this guy is never going to be caught. But when he was caught, they didn't find a bloodthirsty bandit from the Sierra Nevadas. They didn't find a, a rough outlaw who rode his horse and, and guns were blazing. No, in fact, they found a mild-mannered pharmacist by the name of Charles Bolton from Decanter, Illinois. Charles Decanter wasn't a strong man. He wasn't a fearless man. In a matter of fact, he was so afraid of horses that he would ride to his robberies in a buggy. He never once fired his gun because his gun was never once loaded. He didn't even have bullets in it. His bullet was his reputation. The thing, the man, the people so feared was a phantom. It didn't even exist. For the story that there was once a mouse that was afraid of cats. And so the mouse went to a magician and the magician turned it into a cat. And that was great. He was no longer afraid of cats. Oh, but then he met a dog. <laughs> and so he went back to the magician and he turned him into a dog. And that was great. He was no longer afraid of dogs. Oh, until he met a tiger. And he went back to the magician and he got turned into a tiger. And that was great. He was no longer afraid of tigers until he met a hunter. And then he went back to the magician and the magician said, Enough! I will turn you back into a mouse. For though you have the body of a tiger, you still have the heart of a mouse. And you see, the reality is, is in life, there's always going to be something bigger. There's always going to be something badder. There's always something that, that is going to be larger than our own circumstances or our own physical strength. But it's at times like that that you measure the problem against God and not against yourself. Face your fears. Focus on God. Number three, follow your calling. 
That means that you have to understand your own strengths and weaknesses. Saul tried to dress David in his own armor and it didn't work. Why? Because he wasn't used to them. He didn't know those things. You can't face the fears in your life with someone else's strength. You have to face it through your own strength that God has given to each one of you. Number one, look at the ways that God has used you in the past. I mean, David had faced a lion. He had faced a bear. It wasn't like he was going up against Goliath and he had no experience in using the sling. He knew how to use one. He had defended his father's sheep in the past. And so when he was going up against Goliath, he was taking what he already had, what he had already been given, and that's what he was using to defeat the giant. And the same is true in each one of our lives. If you are facing a giant in your life, don't try looking around for someone else's armor. Look inward and say, is there something that God has already given me? Is there a strength? Is there a resource that I already have that God has given me to fight this battle with? Very often it's the things in our lives that we already have that God is able to use. Like the, the pieces of bread and this few small fish, that's what Jesus used to, to multiply and to feed the crowds with. You know, the things that made Paul a great persecutor of the church were the exact same things that made him one of its greatest evangelists. What is God already doing in your life and how can you use that to defeat the giants? And use the weapons you've already been given. Some people think, oh, if I only, you know, I could, I could defeat this, this debt that I have if I only had more money. Oh, I could do this in my life if I only had more education. I could do this in my life if only I had a different spouse or if only I had a better job or if only I had a bigger car or a bigger house or if only I had this or if only I had that. Everything in my life would be greater if I just had something else than what I have. Take what you have, what God has already given you and use that. And that is enough. All Moses needed to lead the children of Israel out of captivity was the staff, the simple staff he already held in his hand. That's when he met God at the burning bush. That's what God said. He didn't give him something new. He didn't give him something different. He said, take what you already have and use it. Face your enemy. Focus on God. Use what you've already been given. And lastly, faithfully point to Christ. That means that you give God the glory. The giant came at David and said, I'm going to crush you into the ground. I'm going to destroy you. And what did David say? No, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. He didn't do that. He looked at the giant and he said, you know what? You have not defied me. You have defied my God. And it's through God that you are going to be destroyed and that your army is going to be destroyed. It's not me who's going to do it. It's God who's going to do it. And that's important. In the struggles that you face in life, don't point to yourself. Point to God. Say, you know what? I may be unable. I may not have all the resources. I may not be the smartest person. I may not be the, the richest person. I may not have this. I may not have that. But God does. And in God's power and in God's strength, I'm going to get through this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. 
It's against the powers and the rulers and the authorities of this world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you look at the world around you, you will see problems. You will see giants everywhere. There's overpopulation. AIDS crisis. All these things like SARS and the bird flu and all these weird diseases around the world. Financial turmoil. Environmental collapse. I could go on and I could go on and I could go on. If you want to look for giants, you can find them. They're easy to spot nowadays. This world is in a lot of trouble. But God is still on his throne. And God is still in control. And God is still I am. He didn't say I was. He didn't say I will be. He said I am, which means I am with you right now. And I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. And God said he is Jehovah Jireh. He is able to provide for all of our needs. Don't be like the woodpecker who landed on a tree and started tapping the tree. And just at that moment, lightning hit the tree and blew it apart. And the woodpecker flew away thinking, wow, I didn't know my own strength. (laughs) No. We know that God is our strength and His Holy Spirit is within us. And that's why we celebrate communion today. As we come to this table, Jesus said, come to this table often in remembrance of me. Come to this table and be refreshed. Come to this table and be restored. Do this often. Because I don't know about you, but I find in my life it's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to look around and allow things, situations, relationships, issues in the world begin to to weigh me down, begin to, to take away my joy, begin to make me feel defeated. And it's at times like this when we have to come back and we have to remember, remember what God has done for each one of us. A few years ago, there was a woman by the name of Floris Chadwick. Floris Chadwick was one of these long-distance swimmers. She had swum the English Channel many times, three or four times. She had swam all the way the distance across the English Channel. But she lived in California, and she had always wanted to swim from Cantalina Island, which is off the coast of California, to the California shoreline. And the distance is only about the same distance as swimming the English Channel. So it's not something that she couldn't do. And so for years and years she planned it. And finally the day came when she made the attempt. She went into the waters off Catalina Island and she began to swim. And for 15 hours she swam. But you know what? It was a cold day and the water was cold. And because the water was cold, there was a thick fog. Two times during that night when she was swimming. Sharks had come in the water and they had to shoot at the sharks to scare them away. But you know what? She wasn't afraid of the sharks. But gradually, hour after hour after hour being in the water, in that thick fog, she just finally said, I can't do it anymore. Get me out of this water. I give up. I can't do it. And so they pulled her out of the water onto the boat. And they realized that they had less than half a mile to go. She had swum for 15 hours. She had gone like 95, 98, 99% of the way. And there was just a little bit left. But because of the fog, she didn't finish. 
something that she had planned for, something that she had dreamed of. She didn't finish it. And when later interviewed, why didn't you make it? She said, it was because of the fog. It was because I couldn't see my destination. I didn't know how far it was. A few years later, she tried again. This day on a clear day, she swam it in record time. What was the difference? The fog. Can I tell you, in our lives, there are times when we will face that fog. There will be times when we just look at the situations around us. We will look at our debt. We will look at a crisis. We will look at a health problem. We will look at something in our lives. And we, all we see is the fog. All we see is the giant. All we see is the problem. But today, this morning, right now, as we come to this table, it's time to let that fog lift. As we come to this table, and as we take this bread which represents the body of Jesus Christ, which was given on the cross for us. As we take this cup, which represents His blood that was poured out on the cross for our sins. As we do this, my prayer is that for each one of us, we will remember again that God is bigger than the boogeyman. (laughs) That God is greater than our fears. That God is able to keep us and God is able to sustain us. And as we go through this Christmas season, which for many is a very tough time, that we remember that God is in control. I'm going to pray. After my prayer is done, the worship team is going to come up and lead us in a song. During that song, we encourage, uh, you know, if you have children here and you would rather your children be in a different program, send them up to the fellowship hall. There's going to be a video playing there for them. Um, again, people have asked me, you know, when we do communion like that, is it okay for kids to stay? The answer is yes. It's not okay for kids necessarily to participate. What we have said as parents, if you know that your child is a believer in Jesus Christ, if you know that your child has a committed relationship with Him, then parents, it's your call. You decide whether your child takes communion or doesn't take communion, okay? That's, that's up to you. We don't police that as a church. But parents, you can decide. And if you're here this morning and perhaps... You know, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but there's something in your life that isn't right and you don't feel you can participate. We encourage you, don't leave. Don't leave. Stay and just watch and just allow this process of talking about the blood of Jesus and and, and as the elements are passed, simply let them pass by. But join with us as we worship the Lord around this table. And hopefully it will help remove that fog and bring strength to your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather together in your name. And Father, we recognize that there are many times in life when we lose sight of you, when when we take our eyes off of you, when we turn our eyes upon the giants that are all around us all the time. When, Father, we become defeated and when we become dismayed and we allow the circumstances around us to, to kind of push us down and keep us fearful. Lord, as we come again to this table this day, Lord, may it be for strengthening for each one of us. Lord, that it would empower each one of us to live for you and to be the light and the salt you've called us to be. Father, as we come now to the table, we pray, Father, that you prepare our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, stand with us again.